Well, good morning. It's great to be back here on this stage. I've been actually back here uh, three times in the last few weeks uh, teaching an Old Testament survey course. It's been great fun. Um, but I love this series that you've just started, this great heist, how our faith gets hijacked. And today I want to talk about um, uh, the, the freedom hijacking that we have. Now, you don't hear a lot of sermons on freedom um, because we really don't have a handle on freedom that much. But most of the New Testament is written about it. It's really uncanny. Um, now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to um, go little in depth. I'm going to try and take this much content and give it to you in a short time span. So it's going to be like getting a drink from a fire hose. Um, and what I'm going to do is, um, like I usually do here, is I'm going to drop a bomb in the room, and then I'm going to go back to Southern California and leave the staff to pick up the pieces, okay? We're going to kill some sacred cows, and it's going to feel like it's heresy. When we start correcting trajectories, or when we start figuring out the counterfeit, and we feel duped, it's kind of like a real knee-jerk to go back to the old ways and kind of go, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty heretical. Um, I hope that you don't, you don't go there. I hope that what happens here is you get a lot of freedom out of this. So this freedom forgery that takes place is not necessarily a new thing. It's an old thing. As a matter of fact, the first church, the early church, dealt with this forgery. You see, the forgery starts like this. Jesus paid it all. Do you agree? Jesus paid it all. Do you, do you agree? Oh, come on. Jesus paid it all. Amen. But we don't believe he paid it all. We believe he paid it for our eternity and when you ask somebody about freedom, what are you free from? We say, we're free from the consequences of eternal sin. We don't have to go to hell because of what Jesus did. But you know what? That's not it. That's not all there is to it. You see, Jesus says, he, pay, he gave us freedom over fear. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. He gave us freedom over want. He says, trust him, he feeds the birds, right? He gave us freedom over mundane living. So you know what? If you ask the average person on the street to describe a Christian, freedom would not be a word in the, in the vocabulary. As a matter of fact, they probably say things like, they're judgmental, you know, and um, they're really uptight, and um, all of that's true, actually. You know why? Because our faith has been hijacked. Our faith has been hijacked. We really don't believe we're free. We love the identity of sin in our life. As a matter of fact, we define ourselves by that. We talk about the fact that we're broken people. We're so broken. Now, I understand that we want people to know that we're not perfect. But when we talk about the fact that we're perfect, we're buying into an old identity. We're not broken, we're redeemed. 
Redeemed means to be made better than we used to be. Why do we like that so much? You see, it's like being uh, hitched to a post, and we believe Jesus broke the chains. We go, hallelujah, Jesus broke the chains, but we're not moving. We're not going anywhere because it's comfortable here. And you know why we do this? Is because we've been so set on a trajectory to manage our sin. We manage our sin. We got to take inventory all the time. We got to work really hard to correct this. You know, I um, lead a mentor group. And um, every time I bring these, these men together, before we start, I say, why do you want to do, do this? What do you hope to accomplish in this group? Inevitably, they always say, well, I want to be accountable. Yeah, okay. Say, what does that mean? What does it mean to be accountable? Well, I'm going through some sin struggles and it's really difficult, and I want somebody to help me with that. I go, you have the Holy Spirit. He does a better job, right? So what do you really mean? Well, I want to come in, I want to dump my sin on the table, and I want, I want you to help me with it. Well, you know what? If I do that, that's called codependency. I'm making you trust me more than I'm having you trust God. You're not really trusting Jesus that he paid it all. Really? Okay, so what does it mean then, accountability? See, I'm not going to waste my time with that. Because if sin becomes the focal point of our life, whether it's trying to eliminate it in my life or going this way and saying, I don't have to, I should give in to temptation. When sin becomes the focal point in my life, Jesus does not. He does not. He is not the focal point. What he did is not the focal point. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Our faith gets hijacked because we take too much time, too much energy, and most of our life is dealing with something that Jesus already took care of. We don't believe he paid it all. Matt told you that uh, I, I'm the founder of a, a church plant in Los Angeles area. And um, it's unique. We do church out of a coffee shop. So our baristas are pastors, and um, Matt came on board to help me launch that. And then Sean and Daniel and Chelsea and uh, a host of people have, uh, have joined us and became part of my staff, and then you guys took them from me. <laughs> um, they're great. They're great. We could never have done this without them. But one of the things that uh, we have to do is we have to get really good at making coffee, you know. Otherwise, we lose our congregation pretty fast. So about 90% of our congregation are people who know nothing about Jesus. And we start out by conversation. So we're making coffee, and one day the chief of police came into our, um, our little shop and she said, hey, I just want to warn you, and this was years ago, I just want to warn you that there are some counterfeit bills that are floating around through Claremont. And I said, oh, great. Well, I don't think we have to worry about that because we don't deal with big bills. She said, no, 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 it's not big bills. It's $20 bills, 
$20 bills are being counterfeit. And I opened the, the register, and in the till, there was a stack of 20s. You see, there's this cultural thing with coffee that people buy a $4.95 coffee, and they pay with a $20 bill. You do that all the time. When you know that you have $5 in your pocket, and you could give a $5 bill, but it's good to break a 20 Okay, so here's this stack of $20 bills in our till. And I went, how do I know if these are counterfeit? She said, this forgery is so good, it's so complex that you won't. She said, don't take $20 bills. I might go out of business. So I told our staff, don't take $20 bills. So they said, when somebody started to pay with a $20 bill, they say, do you have a credit card or can you pay with a smaller bill? It's really interesting how many people have $5 bills. You know. But there was no way to get around this. The forgery went so deep, it was so complex that it altered people's lives. And that's what happens with this forgery. We are free, but we don't live free. We would rather be identified by our sin because it's so much a part of us. And that's not what it should be. So let me tell you how this started. You see, there was the law. The law was given for a specific purpose. It was not given to redeem, although people thought that it was. This law was so complex, it was so involved, it was so detailed that no one could live up to the standard. The purpose of the law is to show us how sinful we are. You cannot fulfill the law. As a matter of fact, I've already violated it. I put on this shirt this morning, and um, I noticed that when I lost a button and I put a new button on, it's not the same. It's a different button. And you know what? The law said... You couldn't mix linens, you couldn't wear certain buttons, you couldn't do things like that. And you go, that's so petty. That's God just being annoying. No, that's God showing us that we missed the mark. We can't do it. You can't do it. I can't do it. And the whole purpose of the law was to point to a Messiah. The whole purpose of the law was for us to say, God, we need you. Somebody has to fulfill this for us. And that's what Jesus did. He said he didn't abolish the law because the law still serves as a reminder that we're wicked, that we're sinful. And so we have to trust a Savior. But I, don't have, to I have to trust him, not just for my eternity. I have to trust him every day. And I hope that when we get through the end of this, you're going to go, oh my gosh, this is so freeing. How did, how did we miss this? See, I have to trust him every day. Now, if you want to manage your sin, if you're really on that trajectory, then let's talk about sin. I don't know why I get to preach these sermons all the time. You know, let's, let's give the one that's really going to mess people up to, to Jirali, okay? Here, so, so I get to talk about sin, so don't tune out. Don't tune out. Understand it. Okay, let's start with the Greek word hamartia. Hamartia is sin. The Greeks used this for, as a general word for all sin. They just said, hey, listen, hamartia. But here's what it really means. It was often used to describe a character flaw 
that kept the person from achieving perfection. The character flaw that kept people from achieving perfection. Now, let me know, and we're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to have a show of hands here. How many of you have achieved perfection? I dare you to raise your hand. <laughs> Nobody, right? And we say, well, that's what God demands of us. God wants us to manage our sin. I grew up with that. That's the biggest hoax ever. That's Satan keeping us accused and oppressed and defeated. And I grew up in that, that you have to strive for perfection. And how do we strive for perfection? What kind of God would make us do something that we could never do? You see, it's not striving for perfection. That's a lie. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. What part of all don't we get? Why do I think that I have to add to Christ's atonement by doing something myself? Oh, we know that works won't save us, but works will certainly keep us living fully. No, Jesus said, I came to give you life to its fullest to its fullest. Why are we not living free? Well, our focus is in the wrong place. Our focus is in the wrong place. So what happens here? Hamardia. This is a character flaw, a basic character flaw. The Greeks even used it about their gods in mythology. Either they were jealous, they were angry, or they had a heel that was a problem. Remember Achilles? So there's always, always a character flaw. So what about us? Do we have a character flaw? Yeah, it's called an old sinful nature. Here's what Paul says about it. He used this in Romans. He says, For if by the trespasses of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and all of the gifts of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as though the disobedience of one man, many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, many were made righteous. Here's what Paul says. He says, you're not a sinner when you sin, he said, you sin because you're a sinner. It's in our nature. It's in our character. It's a character flaw. And what happens here is it's because of Christ's righteousness that we are saved. Our faith needs to be there. Our faith needs to be there. You see, what happens here is when God sees us, he doesn't see us by how good we are and how much we're living up and how much we're dealing with our sin and managing that. That's not it. He sees us through the righteousness of Christ. That's the lens that we have through Christ's righteousness. So I'm made righteous. You kind of go, yeah, but you don't know I'm a wicked person. Yeah, I do know that you're a wicked person. Guess what? You're in good company. I am too. And praise God, we have a Redeemer. Praise God, we have a Redeemer. Therefore, I am not broken, I am redeemed. I need to be redeemed every day. See, it's not faith just one time in Jesus for my eternity. It's faith daily. And now that's a hard thing. That's the counterfeit. 
You see, because we have this thing in us that wants to fix it. We feel like we can do a better job, that we have to manage our sin, so we take inventory of our sin. And I don't know about you, but you have to live in defeat. If you think you're getting it, welcome to the Pharisee club. They thought they got it. And Jesus had to correct them. He said, wait, 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 wait. If you think that you've got it, because they said, hey, we keep the whole law. Jesus said, well, let me, let me correct you. You say, you know, that you don't commit adultery, but I'm telling that if you lust after another person, you've committed adultery. So Jesus just blows up the scope. And what he's doing there is what I want to do with you this morning. I want to show you the breadth of your sin. Okay, we're going to look at it. Hamardia is a general word, but you know what? The Hebrews did it different. They, um, they had more words for sin than just one. Okay, let's look at one. Havan is the first word. Havan is the word. What it meant was iniquity or transgression. It's the twisting immoral perversion against the laws and character of God. Okay, how does that work? Well, you know as well as I do um, <laughs> that... What we tend to do is we start down this road, and we know what's sinful and what's not sinful, but we do it anyway. I do that. I admit. You do it too. Go ahead and admit it. Admit it to yourself. We all do it. Havan. It's interesting because the derivative, another derivative of this is hava. Hava means to be um, obsessed with evil. It's this pride, it's this, these seven deadly sins. It's to be thirsty, to lust for evil. You go, oh, I'm not there yet. You go, well, keep managing your sin and you will be. You see, this twisting, this twisting of sin, it's played out for us in the book of Proverbs. Um, Solomon knew it well. He talked about it, and he gives us an illustration. It's a parable that, that he's, he tells us in, um, in Proverbs chapter 7. And it's not necessarily about sexuality. It's an, an, it's an anatomy of the process of Hava, how Hava works. Here's what he says. He says, I'm in my house. I look out the window of my house and I look through the lattice and I see among the simple, I notice a young man, a youth who has no sense He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in that direction of her house at twilight. As the day was fading, as the darkness of the night sets in. Huh, Havan, here it goes. What he's doing is he's putting himself in a place of sin. I feel like I can control this because I'm managing my sin so well that I can walk down the street where she lives. I can walk down the street where temptation is and I know that I'll be fine. No, you won't be. You see, here's what's going to happen. It says, she loves him. She comes out. She's affectionate. She sees him too through her window and she comes out and she grabs a hold of him and she kisses him. And look what she says here in this next passage. She says, today I have fulfilled my vow. And I have food for my fellowship offering at home. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and I have found you. 
What she does here is she said, hey, I went to the temple, I made an offering, I'm right with God, everything is right with the world. Come on in. I have a peace offering. Now, the peace offering went like this. I would go, it was an atonement offering. When I had sinned, I would go and I would bring my, bring my sacrifice. It would be cut in half. Half of it was burned on the altar to atone for my sin. The other half was given to me, and I had to go home and I had to eat it. And the eating of that offering put me in communion with God. It restored the fellowship with God. Got the picture? Oh, by the way, this is why eating meat sacrificed to idols was such a big deal. You go, what was that? Well, it was a big deal, okay? And Paul says, just eat it. That's the freedom, okay? I'm getting off on a tangent, but I, you got to know this. That was equivalent to the heresies that I'm going to tell you, okay? So I'm not saying don't be accountable. I'm just saying you got to be accountable in a different way. I'm not saying that you should live in sin that's not what I'm saying either. I'm just saying when it, you start to manage it, overmanage it, it's really a slippery slope because you can do this. You can come and say, hey, I'm right with God, and that's when I'm most susceptible. That's the time when I'm going to get blindsided here. That's the time when the accusations of Satan become the strongest. And all I can do is either live in defeat or swing the other direction and just say, forget it. I have a guy who I'm, uh, I meet with on a weekly basis. And um, the phrase that he uses is purity. He just basically over and over says, I'm just struggling with purity. I'm just struggling with purity. My sin just gets in the way. And he goes, I don't know what to do. I pray that God would take this away from me. And he doesn't take it away from me. And I go, what do you mean? Jesus took it away. He removed it as far as the east is from the west. Well, then why do I do it? Because you're wicked. Because in and of yourself, if you're trying to atone for your sin, it's not going to happen. Sin is a reminder that Jesus paid it all. I need to run to him. I need to run to him. This woman says, come on, I made my vows. Come in. Let's go. Well, what happens is it spirals down really fast. Listen to how uh, Solomon ends the proverb here. He says, All at once he follows her like an ox going to slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till the arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing that it will cost him his life. Whoa. You see, what happens here is... He begins down this slippery slope, and it's going to cost his life. That's what bondage does to us. When I refuse to keep saying, Jesus, you paid it all. Jesus, you paid it all. And I believe the counterfeit. What happens is it's going to cost me my life. It's going to make me judgmental. It's going to make me non-fulfilled. It's going to make me all these things that people think Christians are. But you know what? If as a church we lived free, if we really believed these things, that Jesus paid it all, it would be so attractive. It would be so attractive. Everybody wants to live free. Okay. So that's just one word. Havan. Let's look at the next word. 
The next word that the Hebrews used is called is pesha. This means transgression. This is a sin against God uh, and others. It's a rebellious violation of trust. It's a willful act of disobedience. Now, when I was growing up, I was told, you know, yeah, Jesus pays it, paid it all, and the bottom line is, if you willfully sin, that's on you. Have you ever heard that? That's on you. You know, and what's going to happen is you're going to make grace cheap. You go, I thought it was free. We cheapen grace? That's not true. That is so part of the deception. You see, what happens here is every time I sin, I willfully violate God. Every time I sin, I willfully violate God. And so we see this in David's life, right? David is full of rebellion, and what he does is he starts down this road, and you know this sin with Bathsheba. He comes out on his roof, he sees Bathsheba over on her roof, and what he does is he lusts after her. Now Bathsheba is not innocent in this whole thing because she's doing exactly the same thing, Pesha. She's willfully violating God. And what they do is they meet. They have dinner together. The next thing you know it, they're in bed. And the consequence of that, or the result of that, is that she gets pregnant. Now, let's understand this, because I've heard people say, and here's going to be the heresy again that I'm going to get shot down for. The, the thing that I say is, yeah, well, but you pay for your sin because there are consequences to your sin. Look at David. You go, wait a minute, my Bible says... In the same book that tells me about freedom, my Bible says that God makes all things good. God makes all things good. As a church, what we should be doing is when there's sin around us, we should be rushing in there to be an agent of good and see what God's going to do. What a great miracle. How amazing would that be? Because God makes all things good. Is there a result? Yes, there's a result. And so what happens here is Bathsheba gets pregnant. Now David's going to try and fix his own sin. So what he does is he calls her husband Uriah, who is captain of his army, and he brings him home on furlough, and he says, have a night with your wife. Well, Uriah has so much integrity, he goes, my men can't do that, so I'm not going to do that. So he doesn't, he doesn't go there. He goes and he sleeps with his 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 uh, soldiers. He's got an alibi, right? Comes back to David. Nope, he, never, he didn't do this. David was hoping he'd go and he'd have relations with his wife and then they could pretend that he got her pregnant. Okay? So David tries again. This time he gets him liquored up. He gets him drunk. And still what Uriah does is he's so drunk that he can't even go home. So he sleeps in David's house. And what happens is all David's servants see him there all night long. So David loses again. So then Uriah goes back to the battle, and David phones up Joab, his general. He says, put Uriah on the front lines, and then when the battle gets really intense, retreat. Don't tell him. And he's murdered. He's killed. Now David is in this situation where he's compounded his sin, He's twisted it so much thinking that he's right in doing this that it's beyond repair now. 
And what happens here with David is he takes Bathsheba as his wife. Now, there's this thing called kinsman redeemer. David plays the role of kinsman redeemer. And all of Israel sees this. And they go, what a great thing that the, that the king would take her as his wife and give her a child. He wins. He's so godly. Right? You see, that's what our sin management does. It says here that God says to David, you will not die. David should have been stoned. Israel never knew. Israel never knew. But David later on writes this. In Psalm 30, 32, he says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I don't cover up my, my iniquity. I confess my transgression to you, and you forgave me. That's what we need to do. We need to run back to God with our sin and say, you know what, Jesus, you paid it all. I'm trusting you today, and I'm trusting you every day that you paid it all. I can't fix this. I can't fix this. Okay, there's one more word that I want you to know. But before that, I want you to watch this. Hey, my name's Phil. I've been shooting bows for about 15 years now. And I'm here to teach uh, three people how to shoot a bow for the first time. Do you guys know what this uh, little back piece here is called? Clippy thingy? Clippy thingy, that's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so now let's talk about this piece of equipment here. This is called a? A bow. Bow, great <gasps> guess, great guess. Now I'm going to uh, demonstrate how to stand. I'm gonna draw the bow back. Emily, don't draw the bow back. Okay. Uh, when I'm in front of you, you okay? You trust me. Okay, I'm gonna draw back and I'm gonna use this string you see how it's sitting against the corner of my nose? I'm gonna lock into my target, and there we go. Okay, fire away. You guys got it? Yes. Okay, <laughs> all right. Can you repeat everything? I wasn't paying attention. Yes. <laughs> yes. If you have it at an angle a little bit when you're drawing back, and then you'll line everything up. should aim. Oh, got yeah, it. So, okay. Try so, that next time. You know, that's my bad. We did not go over really how to aim for your target. Some people shoot with both eyes open. Some people close one eye. Um, but what I like to do eyes? is use... You, you <laughs> don't close both eyes. I don't advise it. I, I don't advise that. Yeah! Oh, nice! Good job. Good teaching. Good teaching. Good job. There you go. Perfect. Oh, Ooh. that's what you're aiming for, right? Still counts. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nicely done. Nice. Oh, oh those comic got... book movies I've been watching. <laughs> Locking in. Oh! Nice. Yeah. Oh. Nice. Oh. That's good. I think it's still going. Yeah. <laughs> Our goal is to actually hit the target. 
Um, and just to let you know that I trust you, we're gonna give this a shot. Phil is not with us today. <laughs> the Hebrew word for sin, the last one that we're going to talk about, which is the most common one, is kata. Kata, it means sin. It's failure to hit the mark. Failure to hit the mark, okay? Now, I'm going to go really fast here because we're running out of time, but I want to just tell you this. One of the things that we saw here is Phil, in the first, with his first shot, hit the mark. Because if you practice a lot, you'll hit the mark. That's not what this word means. As a matter of fact, it implies that even if you practice and practice and practice, you will not hit the mark. You will never hit the mark. But one of the things that this video really illustrated well is like these people who are taking aim and they're hitting the target and not the mark, we get all excited. Wow, I must be really do good with my sin because at least I'm hitting the target. No, you're missing the mark. You're missing the mark. You will always miss the mark. This word implies that even in our naivety, we sin. That there's times when I sin, that I violate God, that I don't hit the mark, that I don't even know about. Now, how do you manage that one? How do we manage that one? You see... It's really important that we understand this verse. We use this verse a lot. It's Romans um, 3.23. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We use that for salvation, but it's not just the salvation verse. It's an everyday verse. Paul is talking about this in the context of the fact that Jesus paid it all, and we have to live according to that. He says, Don't do this. You're always going to fall short. Always fall short. I always fall short. And just in case we don't get it, here's what Isaiah tells us. Look at this verse. Isaiah says in uh, chapter 64, verse 6, he says, All of us have become like one who is unclean. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. All are shriveled up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sin has swept us away. Basically, what, Jer what Isaiah is saying here is, even on your very best days, on our very best days, when we hit the target, our best days, our righteousness is like filthy rags. Wow, I need a savior. I need a savior. Now, let me just end with this. Paul says, praise God, I have a savior. He redeems us every day, every day. It says, if we're in Christ, old things pass away, all things are new. All things are new. The Greek word there is a present, continuous, perfect tense, meaning that there is never an old. We don't even have an English phrase for it. There's never an old. It's always new. It was newer than it was a second ago. That's what Christ does for us. So why would we live in the mundane? So here's the action. What happens here is we do need to be accountable. But we need to accountable to live forward, 
to live free, to live loving, to live good. We need to be accountable to live like that and not accountable for the sin that's in my life and trying to, mis- trying to manage that. That's the thing that will hijack my faith. I have to trust Jesus every day, every day, because I'd rather fix it myself. I don't believe that his atonement was enough, but it is. It's enough. Praise God we have a Savior. Stand with me and let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for what you did at Calvary. We're grateful, Jesus, that the atonement that you made for our sin was sufficient that you removed our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. And then when we do sin, that we're viewed through your righteousness. So Father, help us to live in a way that's so free and so exciting and so fulfilled that it reflects on you. And we ask these in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day.